0: Welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecaptionlife.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. In this episode, we are going to discuss a popular comic series by Mad Cave Studios called Nottingham, specifically Volume 2, A King's Ransom, which is now on sale and is available at your local comic shop. Here's a description of the series. When Richard the Lionheart is kidnapped and ransomed by Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI, Everard Blackthorne, the Sheriff of Nottingham, is strong-armed into delivering the ransom and bringing the king home on penalty of death. The treacherous Prince John and his ally, King Philip of France, will stop at nothing to ensure that Richard remains in captivity, so the Sheriff finds the unlikeliest of allies in none other than Robin Hood and the Merry Men. With Robin and the Sheriff away, Marion hatches her own devious plan to take back Nottingham, and this collects... Nottingham issues number 6 through 10 I have the exciting opportunity To have the author of the series And a returning guest of the show David Hazan join us today David is a comic book writer Best known as the writer and co-creator Of the hit comic series Nottingham He is a lover of soulful stories with magnetic Characters and has enjoyed collaborating With publishers such as Aftershock Mad Cave Studios, Scout and more He currently resides in and Writes from the koala infested Upside down known as Melbourne australia david welcome back to the show thank you for having me yeah so how have things been since we last interviewed you last year i mean uh, busy
1: it's it's kind of <laughs> wild um yeah obviously we probably we, we talked about how um the first volume blew up and uh, the you know we're sort of maintaining steam on this second volume people seem to be loving it so um and You know, my work in comics has just exponentially grown and I'm really excited about
0: that. Well good, yeah, I mean it's it's honestly, it's one of my favorite uh stories out there that and, and we talked about this in the last episode as well too of taking a um folklore story like this and just kind of flip it on its head. It's just so well done and and I could see why it got popular you know overnight and that it got a volume too, and this one was really good as well too, so um so. I wanted to ask you, what is your comic book origin story? Was there someone or something that introduced you to comics and what is it that made you a comic book fan to begin with?
1: I I feel like I'd always been, uh, consuming comic book related media. Um, but was always discouraged as a kid from reading comics. Um, and it was only maybe about four or five years ago that someone, uh, a a very kind and frustrated work colleague uh, got uh, annoyed at me talking about comic book media without actually reading the source material (laughs) and shoved a copy of the uh, Rucker Williams Batwoman Elegy into my hands. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's kind of just my love of comics has kind of snowballed ever since. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Kind of, kind of, a it's, it's awesome in the sense that that's an interesting story that I haven't heard one. Uh, I haven't heard something like that before. So it's very, it's very unique and interesting to hear. That's how it started for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, sometimes I feel like I'm playing catch up when all of my peers are like, you know, have been in this world, you know, since, (laughs) since they were kids, but, um, I think Mm -hmm. it also gives me a a different perspective. Um, Right. I don't know. It seems to work.
0: (laughs) Well, and I feel you with that as well, too, because I love comic books uh, growing up. But then when I got into high school, I got away from it and just got back into reading comics about five years ago, actually. And what's interesting is I see and hear people talk about all these stories all the time. And I feel like I'm trying to catch up with everything that I missed out on on as well, too. So I I feel in that that it feels like you're always in constant uh, catch up mode when it comes to comics. So, yeah, Um, like
1: When you're writing comics, it's really hard and you have to force yourself to read comics too sometimes. Right. Even yeah. though it's an enjoyable experience, it's like your head is in comics all the time. So the last thing you want <laughs> to do is go and kind of read something. So usually I have to find something I'm really excited about. Um uh, but yeah, it, you know, it, it, it falls down the list and then you fall further and further behind.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We, we always talk about like our, our, uh, unread piles and everything, you know, just how we have stacks of comics uh, that we haven't read or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, you definitely need to have something that you enjoy that's kind of outside of comics. So that way you're not always in, immersed and always, you know, thinking and dreaming and eating and sleeping the same thing over and over again. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So the last time we had you on the show, we talked to you about volume one, which was called Death and Taxes. And we talked about how fascinating your story was with these classic tales. So when you started to work on the next volume issues, what was that process like for you? Did you already have an idea of what the story is going to be like when, when you started on it? Uh, I had a pretty good idea. I kind of knew when I started
1: about midway between issue four and five, I think, at some point, Mm -hmm. I kind of had an idea of how we would continue the story and how the story would end. So Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, good. When you were working on this second volume, what was the most exciting part about working on it? And what do you felt like was the most challenging part uh, with writing the second volume?
1: I think the most exciting part was like really getting to develop these characters a little more and 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 kind of take ownership of them a little more because I feel like in the first volume we got to subvert the readers' expectations, but we mm-hmm. were still leaning on the crutch of the original stories. And now that we kind of, like, established a status quo, I was like, great, we're going to shatter all of this and <laughs> do something completely <laughs> unexpected. <laughs> um, and that was the most fun. I suppose... I don't know. Um, writing Nottingham mostly comes easily to me. Um, I'm like writing other stuff at the moment, which is much more difficult to write and mm-hmm. kind of looking back on it. I didn't struggle with a lot. I think there are there are like the logistical things. So like making sure that characters were in the right place at the right time and fitting the, like the right, the, the amount of story that I needed to into each issue sometimes was a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but beyond that, you know, like, if, I just love writing these characters. <laughs> it's a, it really is a joy. And like, I don't say that as some sort of platitude, I, I genuinely like just love, love writing these characters.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, as I mentioned before, I think it's really fascinating because for those who haven't read the story yet, it's, taking that folklore story of what we've grown up with and completely changing it to be a different kind of story. It's almost like what we've seen with, um, you know, I, I forget the author's name, but like what they did with, um, you know, The Wizard of Oz and how they wrote uh, Wicked, you know, it's like taking that story and kind of flipping it. And I love that kind of story. And that's exactly what you did here. And it's one of those stories that's just really suspenseful because you're never quite sure what's going on, what you thought about Robin Hood and that story like doesn't apply here necessarily in that you never know what's going to happen next. And it's very unexpected. And I gotta say, hearing you talk about volume one and how you flipped everything on its head. I remember thinking, you know, how are you going to surprise us in volume two and reading volume two? I'm just like, yeah, I'm surprised again. And so you did a great job of just keeping (laughs) at uh, keeping out the success of what made uh, Volume 1 really good and, you know, doing that in Volume 2 it just kept continuing the story that didn't really skip a beat or anything like that and that it's just really fascinating to see how you can tell the story and just kind of surprise us with, you know, whatever we thought we knew about the story is, is you know, you can just throw that out the window because you're not going to know what happens here. So so yeah, I, I can see why you enjoy writing these characters because they really shine through and the issues. That that I've been reading and everything, and that it's just really fascinating to kind of relearn and get to know these characters again in a different kind of world, or universe. And I love that about this comic.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 you know, I'm very lucky that most people's first comic doesn't go for 11 issues so far, really, mm-hmm. and most people don't get that long to tell their stories. So what I really wanted to do with with volume two was make it kind of the empire strikes back of the, of the series. Yeah. I, I, I like, I think that was like, you, you don't get a better sequel than empire. Right. And I was like, well, how do I, how do I do this? All right. Well, I'm going to like change everything.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and, and that really feels like that's what happened here with Volume Two. So when when you write a story that's based on a legend like Robin Hood and change the story elements of it, is there a certain framework or certain set of rules that goes into writing a story like that? Like, are there things that you can't change, and other things are just pretty much free game, or do you make your own rules? What's What's that process like? Um, I don't think
1: I really had a set of rules. I think it's all dictated one by genre. And so while we've kind of pivoted in terms of genre a little bit, we've still got noir elements in in this volume. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's dictated one by by the genre because the genre has its own tropes that we kind of need to make sure we hit on. Mm -hmm. And... uh, like part of the fun is fitting the legend into, you know, into the the kinds of story structures and kinds of character archetypes Mm -hmm. that make noir so fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is making sure that theme, like rings true throughout the thing. So as long as we're hitting on message and still bringing, you know, you know, a different genre take, uh, to the story, everything's fair game. You know, I did play a little bit with the history in this volume. Um, admittedly, uh, I wanted that final confrontation to take place in, in, in Rome, which mm-hmm. meant that I had to do a little bit of uh, tweaking of the history. But if, uh, if anybody uh, pays careful attention to some of the dialogue in issue six, you uh, you'll you'll kind of understand where I did it and why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and that actually goes into my next question about this is, um, just like what you said, you know, the, the folklore story of Robin Hood is one that is rooted around a historical event, you know, particularly uh, during the Crusades, right? Like when we look at some of the other, folklore or fairy tales that we look at, it's not rooted in those kinds of historical events the same way that Robin hood is. So like King Arthur, uh, you know, Cinderella, Snow White, all those things, they, they are stories that were told in history, but Robin hood is very central to, you can't tell the story of Robin hood without really talking about these actual historical events that happened. And so, with this volume, there's a lot of historical references that was in it that you said. And it was clear that you did a lot of your research on the historical period. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what do you do that you find helps you in your process when you do that research? And what might compel you to include like that certain historical fact or event in your story, when you when you're looking at those historical pieces or those historical events and facts, when you're writing uh, this volume for Nottingham,
1: the answer to this question is like the mo- the most simple answer, which is that the story ideas come from the history. Like that's mm-hmm. where <clears throat> that's where I got the idea for this volume, which was uh-huh. I was like, how do we like pull apart these characters and put them back together, create new relationships, um, and, and do something interesting. And I, and my initial idea for the second volume kind of was, I guess, more traditional, uh, story setting set in Nottingham and, I just kind of decided to leapfrog that and go to the interesting historical event that was next, which was the kidnapping and ransom of of uh, Richard the Lionheart. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that I did that because, like, it really propels the story forward uh, rather than kind of, navel gazing on the legend itself we're like okay now we've we've done we've spent five issues navel gazing now let's do some like something wild and fun and interesting which is still referable to the history so Mm. and like my historical research is mostly googling i don't i (laughs) don't think i read a single book because like that's part of the fun of this like we get to like especially when you're playing with folklore, like you, in th- we think about like Wikipedia is just like pretty much, uh, uh, it's like oral history written down sometimes because often there's no sources. That's <laughs> like, that's part <laughs> of the fun,
0: you right? Know? Yeah.
1: Um, and like of course you know a huge part of the robin hood tradition is like these oral uh you know tales and these ballads that eventually get recorded and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just it's just um uh, me getting ideas for the next volume specifically when to set the next volume and mm-hmm. the historical backdrop for the next volume comes from the history
0: right right and and you've mentioned um you know the the historical stories about king richard which is something I wanted to bring up because this series <laughs> this volume just as you mentioned it's called you know a king's ransom is centered around them trying to get King Richard back and you included some of the historical factual stories into your volume that I really find intriguing and interesting. So for example uh, you know how he was kidnapped. I don't think there's been any sort of interpretation of Robin Hood or um, yeah interpretation of Robin Hood in any sort of media that told that part of the story in Robin Hood that King Richard was uh, kidnapped and you also included how King Richard had treated the Jewish people as coordination as well, too, which again, to my memory, I have not seen any sort of interpretation that told that part of the story as well, too. So I, I want to ask you, what was it about those, uh, not just, you know, necessarily those, but I want to bring those two out just as examples here. Um, what was it about those events that you thought was important to include in this story, especially knowing that this is not something that it's told in a lot of the the Robin Hood um, you know interpretations of stories that we see in film or shows or you know other books and things like that yeah
1: well um, <clears throat> the uh, ransom of King Richard is a really uh, it's a really interesting political event mm-hmm. and like the whole the whole theme that we're approaching in Nottingham is how the 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 politics affects The individual common man, right? That Mm -hmm. that's and 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 uh, Ev, while he's not, while he's got really one foot in, you know, a higher status, he's still, and you can see he's still kind of sandwiched between the two classes, which means he he he's kind of an avatar of uh, of the common man, and so Mm -hmm. like the idea that Ev is just being like pushed around by these political forces and has no say and has to do the best that he can with what he's got um, Mm -hmm. was really interesting to me. The second part, uh, which is is, um, the uh, sort of historical anti-Semitism stuff, Mm -hmm. is uh, I was trying to think about how, like, why... Why is the sheriff like his, his story is basically a transcription uh of you know of anti-Semitic stereotypes. And so I, mm-hmm. I was like, Well, what if he was Jewish? And uh so I I you know I went down my little like googling Wikipedia rabbit hole mm-hmm. and like found out that uh Eleven eighty nine, King Richard's coronation was the first, and and the events that followed was the first time the word Holocaust was ever used to describe mm-hmm. anti Semitic violence. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I think this is happening. Like this, like <laughs> it, the pieces all fit together so well. When I when I kind of went down that rabbit hole, that I was like, look, guess this is what I'm what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. and I really like really think it's also an important thing to, to talk about, which is that, you know, the, there are a lot of these ideas. The Nazis didn't come up with a single one of them. Right. They've existed for thousands of years, and you know what? They're still around, and it's awful, and it right. should stop. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like it was a way to uh, – tell uh, an important story to me, honour my own heritage, and honour the history itself. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I you know, I'm really uh, satisfied with how that turned out. And particularly mm-hmm. the page that Shane and Luca did in that issue, where they delve into that, was just mm-hmm. like Shane... Shane doing an art style that wasn't Shane was a surprise to me. Like it mm-hmm. was still him, but he, like his things, like the really heavy inks, he just got rid of all the heavy inks and it was just the, like the finer lines. I was like, this isn't like, this is incredible still, <laughs> obviously. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. then Luca did something different with the colors and it's just, you know, pretty, pretty incredible stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and um I was just thinking about how, Fitting it was for you to tell these historical stories within the narrative of Nottingham and how to make it not just something to happen, but just like what you said, how it impacted the characters and the story, and the fact that you know the sheriff of Nottingham himself was Jewish uh, and had Jewish you know lineage, and how that plays a part of who he is in the story. I think is fascinating, and just the fact that these are. Facts that, again, I mentioned before, we don't see in a whole lot of other interpretations of Robin Hood. It makes a lot of sense to include it in your version of Nottingham because... It's again, thinking, rethinking the whole story and now rethinking the whole history of the events that happened as well, too, by highlighting some of those things that we don't get to see in these mediums that we haven't seen before. So we all know that, you know, King Richard went off to the Crusades and he was gone and Prince John was in charge and things like that. But to have some of these other parts that were more of the darker chapters of the history part of it, I think, was very I, I remember when. You had included that uh, Holocaust in there I guess I had forgotten about how The word Holocaust did exist before World War II, but I had just completely Forgotten about it, and I didn't realize Until I read your comic, like, how far back it went too So um, So I thought that That was a really Really moving And compelling piece When you include that in there That really fit With your narrative And your story Of Nottingham here um, So I wanted to ask you A follow up to that Of if there were any Other interesting Historical facts When you were doing Your research That maybe didn't make Into this volume Or into any of these issues Because maybe It just didn't make sense But you would love To try to see If you can incorporate that Into uh, maybe a future story Somehow And I don't want you give away like your whole story either (laughs) i'm gonna keep this one pretty close
1: uh but what i will say is that we end volume two really at the beginning of 1194 Mm -hmm. there is a big historical event that happens in nottingham uh during 1194 Mm -hmm. which uh is it makes sense as the place to where I want to go next. Gotcha. But we're gonna have a think about how the balance of power changing changes that story a little bit. So,
0: mm-hmm. gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's that's right. totally fine. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry if I'm being a bit cryptic. I just don't want to give the whole game away. <laughs> Just
0: yet. No, no, that's, that's totally fine. So I guess that kind of leads into this question I had is it sounds like there's going to be another volume for Nottingham coming out at some point. Is that right? Yes. Um, Awesome.
1: There is another volume. Um, I'm in the middle of outlining now, so it's going to be a little, (laughs) a little bit. However, there will be some more Nottingham content coming next year. That is mm-hmm. not Volume Three, but oh, I don't really? think I can say more beyond that. Um, but it's really exciting project, um, and um, I'm waiting to hear back on some final details about that. But um, it sh- like, I feel like it's gonna more news will come in the next few months. Um, yeah. Um, by, by by the time this airs, hopefully. <laughs> It'll be a little
0: more (laughs) (laughs) used. Right. Yeah, no, but that's honestly, that's exciting because not only hearing about there's another volume, but an an offshoot of something that's coming out. Like, I think that's something that that speaks to volume of how successful this story has been, Um, you know, not just for everybody who's been reading this, but I mean, just also for you to be able to tell just as many stories as you want with the universe that you've kind of created with Nottingham, I think is just really fantastic. So congratulations to you on on being able to not only write another volume, but writing some of these new new stories as well too that's so great thank
1: you the other thing (laughs) that was a delight to write and probably my favorite really my favorite nottingham story i've written uh is the
0: free comic book
1: day issue this year i don't know if you got a chance to take a peek at that but
0: no i i saw it but i don't think i had a chance to read that yet uh
1: it like it, it kind of bridges the gap between um volume one and two Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the way that I wanted to put a whole volume in there, but it does it does its job of like illustrating the transition uh, in in term in in Ev's own mind of mm-hmm. where he sits at the end of volume one and where he starts volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a standalone story. You'll be able to understand it if you haven't read Volume One. Uh, if you have read Volume One, uh, you might cry. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it was just like a really enjoyable piece to write. Especially the challenge of just writing like a standalone mystery in the Nottingham universe was like a joy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm going to have to go back and and read that now, now that you brought that up. So that would be really (laughs) exciting. Um, One of the things I did want to ask you as well, too, because you brought this up in terms of talking about how uh, Nottingham addresses and talks about the different class system that existed back then. And I find really interesting that we saw in volume one, but I think it got... Really expanded on in this volume, just in terms of consequences and identity as well, too, is the person of Robin Hood and how we always think of him as being because he's part of the Merry Men, that he's one of the people, you know, the the commoner and things like that. But in, in this story, we're kind of reminded that he was still just as you said, have one foot in that world, but the other foot as part of the higher class system where he was part of more of the elite system where he had more of a say in terms of these overall governing decisions that happened in England. And so I think it was really fascinating to see how that played out and how that impacted um, you know, him and his followers uh, in this story here. And so I think what's really fascinating about all of this is that again, looking at some of the other mediums, we tend to um, romanticize Robin Hood as the commoner person, but forget about that part and and again the the character itself is might be rooted in an actual person, but we don't know much about the actual person and everything but we tend to romanticize the commoner part but forget about how he also had a little bit more power than the Than the common person here and how that could be something that you really leverage in your story, how somebody in that position can really play politics and move both sides of the chessboard, so to speak. And I think you really did a great job of showing that here with the person of Robin Hood and how he is somewhat you never know what's going to happen with that particular character because you thought you had him figured out and then all of a sudden he kind of changed motives a little bit or changed sides and everything like that. And so I, I find it fascinating um, how you were able to really include that, incorporate that into the story here. Um, and so I'm wondering if there are like other parts of the class system that you like to play around with, with the story that existed during that historical time that, um, maybe, you know, for our listeners here that haven't read the story yet, uh, might be fascinating to kind of talk about or, or expand on in terms of how the class system kind of impacts the story here a little bit and, and how that could change, you know, what we're seeing in the story as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, the, the the idea itself came from my own cynicism, right, where the modern, really the modern interpretation of Robin Hood has him as a, a, a nobleman who, who you know, crosses the fence in the same way that, like, um, Oliver Queen is a billionaire who then, <laughs> you know, who then takes up a bow and arrow and, and goes and fights crime. Um, or a billionaire, rather, I'd... Um, the the like the idea that Robin Hood, who has all the privileges and responsibilities of a nobleman, didn't it just didn't sit quite right with me that he would you know outlaw himself mm-hmm. uh, and kind of go into the forest and start up this kind of uh, upstart guerrilla rebellion, um, right? And so my my that that was where everything spun out of. And this volume in particular, I think, shows you the consequences of uh, Robin mobilizing the like the rhetoric that he uh, you know he uses to manipulate the Merry Men, mm-hmm. and what happens when he's not around to continue to propagandize. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he's basically using the Merry Men for his own ends. Um, right. And he's very specific about his goals uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to the Merry Men. And the person who's most acutely aware of that is Marion. Right. He sees yes. that he'll go far, but not f- so far as to, you know, upset the status quo. Right. And um, because you notice that, you know, he pretty much took the castle, Nottingham Castle in volume one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he ends up getting defeated. And but if he wanted to, you think he could probably have like killed everyone in the castle, but he didn't. Right. And Marion's like, look, Marion goes to little John and he, and she's like, Look, like, you you hate me. I, I don't really care. What I what I care about is that you're being used and, uh, and, she, and she does this purely for her own ends because she wants to use him rather than Robin. But she's saying, I'm willing to go much further than Robin would because I don't really care for the noble class. All I care about is, you know, gaining power and status and wealth. Right. So I'm prepared to, to go the distance in order to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm sick of you know feeding uh, feeding off scraps that are left from these people. So are you? Let's do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that dynamic shift is so exciting. Uh, because you like you you get to give all of these characters agency where they didn't ha- really have it in the first volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see uh as we go along who uh ends up getting bitten in the ass by, <laughs> by what they've done yeah <laughs> but um she's certainly much more willing to you know she's much more willing to upend the system than Robin ever was robin robin's goal was never to upend the system robin's goal was to make sure that uh king richard had you know a safe place to come home to by destabilizing uh, uh, Prince John while also um, funding the,
0: you know, funding the war effort uh, for mm-hmm. or Richard's return. Right. Yeah. No, and I love that part. And I think it's really fascinating to kind of see how those different pieces of the system get to, play with and interact with one another in that, you know, they're kind of in the same uh, levels of status or, you know, they're different, but they're same in the sense of like where they're at and uh, along those lines and everything. And that those play a motive into that character as well, too. And I thought it was just fantastic how you wrote that out. And, and, you know, especially Maid Marion. I gotta say, I think Maid Marion is one of my favorite ones because you just never have any idea like what she's going to do next. And just like what you said, um, She's the one that will go the furthest in terms of what she's willing to do in order to achieve that. I absolutely love that because I think there's just, you know, there there's no you can't. Fathom or guess what's going to happen next With that and I absolutely love that so So in talking about the characters we've had At least you know 10 Issues plus the free comic book day that you Shared uh, with these characters That are mysterious and complex we have Sheriff of Nottingham Robin Hood Made Marion Guy Gisborne For you as a writer Which character would you Say that you're most excited about and Which one's the most challenging Hmm um.
1: I find uh tuck and Gisborne uh challenging because I just I want to make sure that they still have a place in the story, and sometimes like th- I fear that they just get outshone by Marion and Robin and ev and and like I'm hoping that when we hit volume three that uh that part of it will hit you. Hard, but um, mm-hmm. we'll see. I'm still outlining. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like Robin, Marion, and the Sheriff are such a joy to write. That like, <sighs> um, and like I, I just like the the dynamic between the three of them. That's that's mm-hmm. what all like led into that three way uh, sword fight at the end of Volume One.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs>
1: And yeah, it's a, it's a really fun dynamic and we'll see how that dynamic changes over the course of volume three as well, which I'm very excited for. I wrote, so I've been writing the outline backwards.
0: Oh, there <laughs> so you I go. So I started with the last <laughs>
1: issue and I'm working my way backwards. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. <laughs> I did tear up a little bit at the end of volume three, um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing going, okay, well, I know where these characters end, and I want to know where they are now. Let's fill in the blanks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So I, I'm going to ask you um, a question here with what you just said, but I want to go back to when you were talking about, um, you know, Blackthorn and Robin Hood and Marion with that scene, I got to say that I could tell you loved writing that part because I think for me, that was just such a, pinnacle moment in volume one in that I think the relationship dynamic and the power structures and just everything that accumulated led up to that moment. And it was just such a powerful part of volume one that I absolutely loved. And I could tell that you loved writing that part because it was something that was just so powerful. And like, it had like all the emotions where they had like the suspense and the mystery and, and everything with it. And I, I gotta say, that was my favorite part of Uh, volume one as well too. So I could tell that you really enjoyed writing those characters. Um, When you were talking about volume three and how you're starting, you know, with the end first and working your way back, um, do you do do you and do comic writers in general? Do you usually like start with the beginning and work your way to the end usually, or do, is there what's what's a normal process for you or for other writers um, that maybe for our listeners you know don't know how that process works in the comics writing world? Um, can you shed some light on you know how that usually works and maybe at least for you um, in terms of you know what works for you, what kind of goes into that?
1: When I'm outlining, I will usually uh, go from start to finish mm-hmm. because um, it allows you to build elements. i will go to start from start to finish, and then I'll go back and make the ending work with the rest of it and 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 kind of neaten it up. Um, when I'm scripting, I usually... Mm-hmm write the first couple of pages and the last couple of pages and any scenes that are like stuck in my mind as things that need to get out of my brain and onto the paper. And then I'll <laughs> fill in all the blanks in between that. Um, right. Uh, some, some people work like me. Other people think I'm deranged for doing it. That way. <laughs> <laughs> but like <clears throat> with that fight scene at the end of volume one, I the dialogue involved in that entire confrontation, there's Mm -hmm. probably like four or five pages more of that dialogue that ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, Mm -hmm. And like those conversations, the kind of conversations that are like really the, the, uh, the fulcrum of the thematic and uh, plot elements are the ones that obviously get writers really excited. That's what I jump to first. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, how do we get here? And how do we get from here to, Mm -hmm. you know, to uh, some sort of resolution? And yeah, so there, there, there are bits and pieces that I, you know, that I leap to first because they're the most exciting. And that gets me excited about the other parts that may not be initially as exciting, but how do I make them exciting? So they're excited writing them so that uh, people are excited reading them.
0: Yeah. So so when you're talking about those um, critical moments in the story and everything, and you have to you know, fill in the details that leads up to it later. Do you ever find yourself realizing that when you first had that critical moment and then you wrote it down, that it had to change later on because details leading up to it just wouldn't work and you had to make those adjustments and when that happens like do you get disappointed or or is it one of those things where it's like no i actually got better because of that
1: i mean it always ends up better because of that um Mm -hmm. because you know like i can i especially these characters like the dialogue is so rich and the characters are so fertile that you know i could sit there and write pages and pages of conversations between them
0: Right, right. Um,
1: but the reality is, this is a comic book, and like people are going to fall asleep uh, if I just have, you know, slabs and slabs of text. Um, <laughs> but which is why I always try to contextualize that with the stakes. Um, and I think that that fight scene is just like a perfect example of that. You know, mm-hmm. that like uh, Robin is kind of like raving. At Ev, while he's holding a knife to Marion's throat and like telling her to <laughs> shut the hell up. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> and, and, and so like the, the more he talks, the more the suspense, you know, ramps up um, because like, what is, what is he going to do? What is the sheriff going to do? Uh, and, and all you can see is them like, you know, firing off, uh, verbal shots at each other. are like, what's going to happen? What's going <laughs> to
0: And it um, is such a suspenseful moment too. like, I, I remember feeling the tension reading through those panels and, and it was just, I, I've said it before already, so I apologize, but it's just so well done. I really love yeah. um, that part of the story. So yeah, I can see that. Um, one last question. For you, and I wanted to ask this because I don't think we asked this in the last episode. But um, the story is called Nottingham, and in the story, we know that the sheriff Nottingham's last name is Blackthorne. I'm just kind of curious: how come the story is called Nottingham and not Blackthorne, or you know, the the tales of? Blackthorn, you know, or or even Sheriff of Nottingham. Is there a reason why maybe it had to be Nottingham and not Blackthorn? Is it just because people recognize Nottingham and not the last name of the person? Uh, part of it is that. So my okay. original
1: my original title uh, for um, for the series was Nottingham Noir, um, and oh. then and then we kind of went back and forth on it and like. Um, uh, my editor and uh, the then uh, managing editor at Mad Cave, we had a discussion about it, and we they were like, "Well, can we go with Sheriff of Nottingham?" And I'm like, "Probably not. Uh, for legal reasons, there is a block." game you won't be able to get the trademarks um (laughs) (laughs) um, i said it's unlikely but give it a shot and you know they took it to legal legal like no um it's not a good idea (laughs) and so we ended up on just Nottingham. um i i gotta tell you i think i hit the jackpot with like naming the sheriff Everett Blackthorn. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> it was, it's one of those moments where I can't point to where that name came from, but mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, it was, it just fits so well that I like, I now can't imagine having named the character anything else. Um, yeah. so yeah, it, it, yeah. it it, you you kind of feel the, his hunched back when you have to say the name everett blackthorn you know like <laughs> you, you feel oh, yeah. the hunched back you you can smell the greasy hair you know like it's, it's, <laughs> um, yeah so that was a stroke of of uh luck on 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 my part um
0: yeah i i got to say i i think that's a great name for him and to be honest uh I don't think I can ever see any other Sheriff of Nottingham and any, you know, story new or old without now thinking that that person's name is Blackthorn. So I think that was a great name is very fitting for your character in the story. But I think the person of Sheriff of Nottingham, I think, just fits that. Very well. So I, I I love the fact that you were able to come up with that name and, and I think it works really well. But yeah, I, I was just kind of curious why um, that title name, since it's so central around, um, you know, Blackthorn and everything. So I was just kind of curious if, you know, part of that was um, a marketing plan and part of it was logistics and things like that. So and, and yeah. I figured it was it's kind of a combination things. of those. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and none of them since we started with Nottingham in the title. But, you know.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So it works, though, because I think, you know, with that title, people know what that's going to be about just looking at it. And I remember, you know, that first issue in the volume with that cover art, it just grabs your attention because it's not what you were expecting at all with everything. And so I think it just really captures not just the name but the art captures the essence and spirit of the story and so i think it worked out to your uh to your benefit and it delivered you know exactly what you wanted it to so i think it's a fantastic read so i feel like we should have talked about shane a little <laughs> <laughs> you, you know shane. when volume three comes out we should we should do an interview with the whole creative team i, I think we should we should do that right, absolutely if, if everybody's available right. yeah
1: yeah, absolutely keen to do that. Um, but uh, just shout out to Shane Conrad Falk, um, yes. who is a, you know, a, a master and also a fantastic human being um, and uh, the best partner in medieval crime one could ask for in this business. <laughs> um, Luca Romano, who is our um, very intense, very Italian colorist, who is just, you know, also a joy. Um And Brian Hawkins, uh, fantastic editor and um, amazing uh, comics creator in his own right. So um, should also go follow all those people. Um, Yeah, (laughs) because they, you know, they spend just as much time, if not more, uh, time making Nottingham happen. So uh, very Mm -hmm. grateful to to you know all of them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Well, David, thanks for coming on the show again. It was a blast having you back on to talk about Volume 2. Before I let you go, can you let us know where we can find you online if we want to connect with you through social media or just be able to see what you're up to?
1: Yeah, so the best place is on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is uh, at David T. Hazan, um, or you can find my website at www.DavidHazan.com.
0: Awesome. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So David, again, thank you for coming back on the show. It was a blast talking to you about Nottingham. I wish you all the best of success with the future of that story. Thank you very much. And that wraps up another episode of The Caps in Life. I hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caps in Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. The